Hello, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to the history of video games. My name is Wes, and I am here, as always, with the wonderful Ben. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing great. How are you, Wes? I'm doing fantastic. Today's a big episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about Galaxian, but before we get into that, we just want to check in and talk about what we've been playing recently. So, Ben, why don't you start us off? Oh, yeah. I've been playing a couple different things this week, Wes. The one I want to talk about, though, is one called Monster Train. Ooh, okay. I don't know if you ever heard about it, or yeah. maybe if I talked to you about it before, but it's a Slay the Spire type roguelike deck building game, which a couple weeks ago I played Arcanium, which was a Netflix one I did, I did on my iPad, and I, that kind of really like got me excited about it. Yeah, yeah. And I was debating purchasing Slay the Spire because that's like the one that really followed this genre, I think. But this one came after, and uh, I don't know, I just decided to pick it up. And it's really good. I mean, I think I just like am addicted to this kind of gameplay. There's something about roguelike deck building games that just appeals to me. So definitely, <laughs> I'm yeah. really enjoying it. And um, it is interesting to look at the differences between this and Arcanium, which I think I still prefer Arcanium. Oh, okay, wow. I know, even though like it's broken pretty much, <laughs> but uh, there's a couple interesting differences. I feel like this game's got a little bit more RNG component to it. You only have four or five different factions that you pick from, and then you only have 10 battles before the final fight. Mm. So every run always wraps up within like an hour or so, but um, because you only have like 10 turns to build your deck. I feel like there are sometimes you just don't get good cards. <laughs> There's like nothing you can do about it. Also, you have one like basic deck. So that deck could be, I don't know, 30 or 40 cards by the end of the, the game. And you only draw five a turn. So you can also just like not get the cards you need in that final fight, which is usually really hard. So I feel like there's a little bit more RNG to this game than Arcanium, which on that one, you had three different mini decks, one for each of your like little heroes, and each of them drew three to four cards a turn. So you just drew more cards and went through the deck a lot faster, so you could always kind of get the cards you needed. And it was also over the course of a 30-turn game, so you had a lot more opportunities to pick stuff up and hopefully get that like missing link that you needed right. before the final fight. And on this one, I just feel like you can just get unlucky. So um that's the only kind of like negative thing about it. The actual gameplay itself is really interesting. It's kind of like a uh, tower defense kind of part about it where you can think about it like there's three lanes essentially and they come in the first lane and then at the end of the first turn, you know, they'll hit your minions in the first lane, but then they'll all move to the second lane and new enemies come in the first lane. And if they get through all three lanes then they can attack your face directly pretty much. So, um, it's almost like a tower defense because you don't want them to get to the end. <laughs> so it, it's pretty interesting, but uh, it really works, and I really love the gameplay. I just feel like there needs to be a little bit more kind of risk reward, or like I'd, I'd love to get towards the end, right before the final boss, be given a choice of like maybe one additional fight, and the reward could be like pick any card that you want or something that you you know just something that could help really get the glue of your deck together and, and find that missing link if you haven't found it yet. 
right. um, because there's so many pieces of gear, different cards that you could pick from, and you never quite know what you're going to get. So it all just depends. But I do really like it. You do uh, continue to level the characters in between runs, which is cool, and unlock new cards for them. So um, it's definitely something I'm going to be playing a lot. Nice. But uh, I might even go back to Arcanium, though. That's how much I like it. Just because with that one, there's like 25 heroes. So you always get <laughs> new, new stuff per run. And on this one, I'm more like doing a single run with a single hero until I can beat it. <laughs> so it feels similar every time because I'm using the same heroes over and over again. <laughs> right. But yeah. It is good, though. Don't get me wrong. I, it's just, I think I prefer Arcanium a little bit more. Interesting. So, well, so yeah. I'm curious. Uh, a key mechanic that Slate Aspire has that I think really helps with this type of game is uh, easy ways to remove cards from your deck. Right. Does it have any type of thing like that in Monster Train? So you could kind of like slim down a deck if you had too many basic cards? Yes and no. So pretty much in between each of the fights, you get this um, kind of like forked track option. And on one side of the tracks, there could be, you know, like remove two cards from your deck. And on the other side of the track could be like, get a new cool monster. So you're always balancing which one to do. Right. And sometimes you need to do both and they're just not on the same side of the tracks and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas again, with Arcanium, if I knew like those two things are what I needed to do, I could take the last five turns of the game to make sure I do both of those things. You know what I mean? Like, I think this is true in Slay the Spire as well, but you have that kind of like hex-based grid thing where you can kind of go between the tiles. And so you can definitely aim for certain things and spend time getting exactly what you need. Whereas in this game, it's like, well, is it on the right side of the tracks? <laughs> and right. that's pretty much all the power you have. <laughs> and you can't go backwards, so. Once you make a decision, you just have to hope that after the next battle, again, it's it's there. Which even those two things that I gave as examples, they only might be there uh, maybe two or three times a run or something. I don't know. But interesting. Well, you know, if you're looking for something where you can choose where you go in a deck building roguelike type game, mm -hmm. next time you're itching to buy a new one, check out Griftlands. Uh, I think it's okay. by Clay Interactive. The people who do like published don't starve and um oh i didn't even know about this um oxygen not included but yeah it's a like story-based one and you get one deck for combat and one deck for like arguing and conversation so like you can choose oh, to be like fun. a persuasive talker and you have a bunch of like smooth talking cards that you use i'd look up reviews on it first because i've only watched videos of it and it looks really good but uh who knows maybe that'll be the next one that one of us is talking about <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But I mean, it, all that being said, I mean, it is still a lot of fun and I'm definitely going to get many hours out of it. And it wasn't a full price game either. So definitely something everybody should pick up, especially if you already ha have Slay the Spire, you know, definitely one to pick up. Well, Wes, I know what you've been playing, but why don't you tell the people? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I've been playing Elden Ring. Elden Ring is out. It is here. It's one of the few times that I'm really sad we don't do like a week of podcast recording, but honestly, having a backlog keeps us sane. So we'll have to deal with the fact that this will be coming out like two or three weeks after it released. <laughs> mm -hmm. But man, it's really good. It is so far, and I've played about 
12 or 15 hours of it. Everything I hoped it would be. If you go on Twitter, it could just be the people I'm following, but so far it seems like the Dark Souls fans are just raving about it. But it has mixed reviews on Steam, which is very strange. Some of it, I think, is pretty valid performance concerns. Mm -hmm. I think I got pretty lucky because I bought the game knowing that my graphics card did not meet the minimum requirements for the That's game. Right. And it's been running pretty well. Like, I mean, I get stuttering when I go from like a cave back out to the big open world environment. But once it loads everything, I'm good to go. And 15 hours of gameplay, I've only had one crash. So honestly, I'm pretty lucky. I think there's a lot of varied response in the PC experience. And I think that's probably why it has mixed reviews. But as for the game itself, it is still very much a Dark Souls game, which I'm very happy about. It takes the Dark Souls formula and somehow perfectly makes it an open world game. Dark Souls games have always been really good at creating these beautiful, massive environments. And now it feels like there's nothing stopping you from going to any of the places in these environments. I just made it to the first, what they call uh, legacy dungeons, which is sort of like the main story path. Every now and then they'll box you into a big dungeon that's sort of like a traditional Dark Souls game. And as soon as I get in this main legacy dungeon, I'm exploring it. It's gigantic. And then I find this little piece of lore that says, you know, some say the decay of the castle comes from deep below. And I find this gigantic chasm, which looks like a whole other underground massive area under this castle that I'm like, I, I don't even, I got to explore this castle first. I can't even get to that yet. <laughs> and there's just lots of great moments like that. Despite being 15 hours in, I'm still very early in the game. I've done a lot of little side mini dungeons. Uh, that's one of the nice things they've added in this to fill up the open world. There's a lot of 15, 20 minute dungeons you can do that have sort of a mini boss at the end, which some of them have kicked my butt, but some of them I beat in first try. So a lot of them are pretty easy, but it, the difficulty feels right for that type of dungeon. But that's been most of what I've been doing. I've only done one main story boss so far <laughs> okay and it is the first one and he was so incredibly difficult i don't know if i was under leveled a lot of the discourse online right now is people saying it seems like they really designed this first boss so that you would try it too early and be like okay i need to go grind in the open world and discover more stuff before i come back because he's way too hard <laughs> i mean it's kind of a nice design philosophy because it's dark souls the bosses are going to kick your butt, but it's also saying, hey, you're not locked at just fighting this boss. If you want to, there's 20 other bosses in this open world that you can find to grind, to get better weapons, to get better gear, and you can come back and stomp this boss if you want to. They just give you a lot more tools to get things done, and it's just really exciting, honestly. I'm going to have to think of other specific things to talk about it because I could vaguely rave about the game forever and I don't want to do that. <laughs> but yeah. I got a question for you, Wes. Sure, yeah, lay it on me. Well, usually in open world games you have like a hub city or something, but I feel like normally like friendly NPCs are like very minimal, right? At least that's my perception of Dark Souls. So yes, yeah. 
is there like a city or is it pretty much like you're on your own and there's a couple random people you meet along the way? More like the second thing, although even though there's never a big, like friendly city in Dark Souls games, there's always a hub where the merchants, usually like a sorcerer who trains you how to do spells and then a faith caster who teaches you how to do holy spells, a pyromancer, usually meet these people on a playthrough. And then they all come back to one hub area where like everyone who oh, you've okay. found along the way is there. It's not like they have tons and tons of dialogue because, you know, it's so mm-hmm. well, they do have a lot of dialogue, but it's all very obscure in the perfect souls way where everyone's talking in a weird way. And you're like getting glimpses of this giant story. But yes, there is a traditional Dark Souls style Firelink shrine is kind of what people call that area because it usually has Firelink in it in a few of the different games although this one it's something totally different but it's this hub area where you're perfectly safe and you can interact with a bunch of other npcs upgrade weapons and do a lot of stuff like that so it feels similar to previous games and not like a actual city yes no it's definitely not a city it's a pretty small area okay. i wasn't sure because this isn't in the dark souls universe is it no it's not i wasn't sure if they were going to change it up a lot or keep it I mean, from what I've seen from it, it looks like it could be in the Dark Souls universe, you know what I mean? (laughs) Definitely. It's very much in what is becoming just the From Software universe, you know? (laughs) Because Bloodborne has that feel and Sekiro has that feel. I think a lot of people were wondering if it was going to be a more traditional style open world game, but they were basically just like, no, it's just a giant Dark Souls game in an open world, which for me and a lot of other Dark Souls fans out there, I think is perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So nice. I'm definitely going to have more to say about later. I'm curious to see what uh, people who aren't interested in the series, though, like never played Dark Souls, uh, think about this, if it'll be a good gateway for them. But uh, mm-hmm. time will tell, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, with that being said, Wes, I think we should get into Galaxian. Oh, I yeah. Mean, people are waiting. That's why we're here today. <laughs> Let's talk about the history some a little bit of background about it i know it's so big we felt we had to cover the background a little bit i don't have too much to say about it wes i will say it was designed by kazunori sawano who was working at namco so namco's the developer of galaxian and really namco hasn't really done that much in terms of video games it's mainly been their pinball breakout hybrids like uh, gb and bombi those are like the only things that they've really done up until this point, and they've cloned some other stuff, but nothing else that original. But uh, Kazunori had been working for Namco for already a few years and had made some of their electromechanical games, most notably one called Shoot Away, which is a it's like a projector-based light gun game. So I mean it looked alright. But I guess he was assigned with the task of making the best version of Space Invaders that he possibly could. And just reading about the history of the development of the game, it was developed over the course of six months or so. And it seemed like Kazunori had a lot of input about his vision for the game. Like, people would give him different sound effects and he'd be like, no, I don't like that. You know, he was very involved in pretty much every part of it, including the overall game design and uh it just did really well i mean (laughs) he's good at what he does that's for sure and um 
that's kind of like where it came from. And obviously, definitely fully inspired by Space Invaders, but um, is also unique in its own right, which we'll get into later. Absolutely, yeah. And part of what makes this game so incredible, so monumental, is how good it looks. And we wanted to do this special topic to kind of get an idea of where these innovations and in technology came from. Because yeah. the whole point of this podcast is we like to cover as much as we can. So it's not like we saw a highlight of the three best games of 78 and then we're like, holy cow, where did this uh, tech come from in 79? You know, we jumped a year. That's probably why. No, we've seen the games that came out last month and nothing looks yeah. as good as this. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to try to explain as best as I can uh, fairly briefly because I don't know too much what I'm talking about, why it looks so good. So most of the other arcade cabinets that we've gone through in history use a method of drawing graphics on screen called frame buffering, which basically draws everything on screen sort of left to right, top to bottom, line by line, which is how we get those sort of like games where if they try to do more movement than they can really do, it sort of looks like it's like wiping down across the screen. Mm -hmm. And this was first used in... Uh, Dave Nutting Associates in Gunfight actually was the first to use this kind of frame buffering, I think. And that one looked pretty good. And it did. Yeah. So there's definitely applications where it can do a pretty good job. But once you try to have multiple things moving on screen at once, like sprites moving side to side or something like that, if they're being drawn at the same time as the background is being drawn, it becomes a bit of a problem. So for Galaxian, the team created hardware that could do what's called tile napping in eight by eight tiles, which basically meant that the screen was broken up into a bunch of different tiled sections and each section was drawn separately from each other so that they could be handled uh, simultaneously by like different parts of the hardware of the cabinet and multiple areas could be drawn at once. So then you can have multiple things moving in different directions at the same time without it looking like glitchy or without the frame rate really tanking and it taking forever to redraw everything. So that meant that Namco could get super detailed with their sprites, which is why we see these great multicolored insect alien sprites. And it wouldn't impact the draw speed just because they were super high detailed. And they could also add in a scrolling background that operated separately from the sprites, whereas normally it would kind of have to redraw the sprites at the top of the screen as it's doing a scrolling background. Another reason they were able to do that is they came up with what's called a sprite buffer system, which meant that it preloaded sprite images onto the cabinet so that it could like have four sprites or four like animation sprite positions in a line waiting so that when the scrolling background moves and it has to redraw the sprite, it already has them loaded and it doesn't have to think about it. Basically, all this stuff came together to mean that it could have multiple things moving on screen at once, smoothly and looking great. And it's insane to think about how much innovation they did, considering this was all still the CPU they were using was still a Zilog Z80, like everything else that we've seen. <laughs> But they right. had a bunch of their own custom video hardware. They also uh, had, I believe, a custom sound card that they used too that had seven different sound channels. So that's part of why it's going to sound really good when we listen to it too. So yeah, just they did a real good job of improving on stuff that they had to make 
this totally new style of displaying things on screen that really hadn't been done at all before. Right. All right. That sounds pretty cool, Wes. Before we get into our ratings for it, I, I do want to say real quickly, do you know what the GA in Galaxian stands for? Well, you know, I thought I saw a video on it, but why don't you tell the people? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it stands for a moth, which is why all the aliens kind of look like insects. And that's also like why every single game in the Galaxian series, because there's going to be more than Galaxian, look like insects and they all have GA beginning in the, uh, the naming of them. So kind of cool. The more you know. I know. I thought it was nice. And on the flyer for it, there's a big old moth there, which is pretty funny. <laughs> so well, that was fun. Got some great designs for the alien uh, insect spaceships. But oh, yeah, I think with that being said, we should get right into our timeline and right into Galaxian and talk about just what we thought about this pretty great game. Hello and welcome back from that beautiful musical interlude by uh, myself, if I don't mind. <laughs> if you don't say so yourself, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but let's hop into Galaxian. I mean, I want to just talk about it right away. So um, that's what we're going to do. And since Galaxian is such a big one, both Wes and I reviewed it and then we compared our scores and averaged them. And we're going to be kind of doing a dual review, which... I don't think we've ever done in 110 episodes of the podcast. Well, so. <laughs> Changing um, things up. Every uh, 100 episodes, you can expect us to yeah. change up a bit. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, um, real quick, Galaxian, most people say it came out in October of 79, although internal documents from a court showed that it came out in September 15th of 1979. So um, either way, we put it at the very end of September um, or beginning of October, right in that period. This is the last game we have in the September section. And then right after we talk about Galaxian, we'll be talking about games from October. So it's right around the right, the right time period for sure. But yeah, I mean, Wes, why don't you uh, give the people a little bit of overview in case they've never seen this game somehow? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I'll try to be brief because I know most people know what Galaxian is. Uh, but as Ben mentioned in our special topic, it is definitely inspired by Space Invaders. There's a lot of the same gameplay going on here, but of course it does make some pretty big changes to it. Some of the similarities, you start with a group of enemy ships at the top of the screen that you have to shoot down. You can't move up and down the screen, you can only move side to side, and you can only have one bullet on the screen at a time. But instead of slowly moving down the screen left to right like they do in Space Invaders, the enemies are kind of always wiggling side to side and they dive down at you in uh, either like pairs of two or solo. 
And as they dive down at you, they shoot instead of shooting just where they are at the top of the screen. And they also have several different patterns that they can go in as they dive down at you in some different like formations and types of ships, uh, which all adds into a pretty unique experience. The ship sprites also don't take up the whole space between them and the ship right next to them. So there's a gap in between all of these ships in their formation at the top which means that you can shoot in between them and totally miss all of them, which I don't think was a thing in Space Invaders, but is in this. Uh, the aliens were also programmed to follow the player's movements and react accordingly, like not super sophisticated, but enough that they actually fly in their pattern towards your character on screen. And also they always shoot towards you sort of at an angle. So it really makes their movements feel organic. and. After that, basically, you know, you're going through, you're clearing the screen. Every time you clear a screen in Galaxian, more aliens show up in the same formation and they progressively get faster. They shoot more. Um, I'm not good enough to game, at the game to have ever gotten there, but apparently you can also get to the point where they fly down at you in groups of 10 instead of groups of like Whoa. two or three. I know, like <laughs> that's probably like wave nine or something. And I don't think I've ever made it past wave three. <laughs> <laughs> but then the aliens are also worth different points uh like we've come to see in tons of these games higher up on the screen they are the more points they're worth and there's also these bonus aliens that show up at the beginning of every round where you get more points if they're the first ship you kill in their diving run instead of the uh their co-pilots or their wingmen and then you also have multiple lives and you can get more lives for hitting certain scores so a lot of elements that we've seen in other games, but also a lot of totally new stuff wrapped into this Space Invaders genre game that make it really unique. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I think everyone knows what this game is about. So <laughs> why <laughs> yep. don't we get into what we thought about it? Because it's a doozy. Ben, do you want to start us off here? Yeah, let's talk about gameplay first. Um, I mean, just my thoughts on the gameplay. I really love the game. I think that'll be a recurring trend <laughs> as we talk through our review. But um, there's something about the dive bombs of the invaders that is like, it, it makes it so much more tense and gives them so much more character that it really keeps you a lot more invested. And now looking back at Space Invaders makes Space Invaders seem just completely... Like, they're not interesting at all compared to this. It's just yeah. so much better. <laughs> it's crazy how much the dive bombs make a difference. There's a couple different kinds of invaders, right? There's, I think, four different kinds. And most of them are pretty similar, but there's two at the top, which are like the boss ones, right? And when they dive down at you, they bring two of their bodyguards with them. And they really feel like this bigger boss character that you want to try to get rid of as early as possible because you don't want three guys diving at you and... And shooting you at the same time right and i know we're going to talk about it in graphics too a little bit but the fact that this the invaders kind of like face you as they come down it's like they know where you are they're hunting you just really provides this experience that's so much more um interactive than than the older ones like space invaders for instance so um it's also a lot more fast paced i think and rewards a lot more skill because you can just completely miss all the invaders and as they're dive bombing down at you, they get more and more dangerous. So you really have to be a lot more selective with your shots because you can only shoot one missile at a time. 
So all these things really make for a really fun, fast-paced, arcadey experience that I'm a big fan of. I know you're a big fan of. Yeah. Together, we gave it a 5 out of 10 for gameplay. It holds up. I mean, I'm not going to say it's, it's like amazing compared to games that have been made after it, you know, because we do all of our ratings based upon modern standards, which might seem weird, but I think it makes a lot more sense than trying to imagine what it was like in 1979. Yeah. <laughs> um, which it would just be impossible. So um, we, we base all of our games based upon what we know from our real life. And if we would go back and play it today, and we totally would go back and play this one today. I'm not saying it would be like our favorite game of all time, but it would be enjoyable. So um, we decided to give it a five out of 10 for gameplay. Definitely. And I mean, if it's any testament to that rating, when I was growing up, I had this and a bunch of other Damco games on a cartridge for the N64 and I played it. So <laughs> yeah, I have wanted to play it in modern times. Yeah, I also um, played it when I was a kid on a um, it was like a it was like an old Pac-Man thing, but it had Galaxian in it, too. It was like a pack of five games and one joystick you plugged into the TV kind of thing. OK, yeah. Um, and uh, it also had Galaga on there, which comes out in two years time, also by Namco. But I think because I was so young. And because of how good this game looks, I didn't know the difference between the two. <laughs> you know, I, I knew uh, Galaga, your ship could be captured, right? So I was like, I, I would play Galaxian for like 10 minutes and be like, why aren't they capturing my ship? And then I'd yeah, be like, oh, this yeah. isn't the right one. <laughs> but that's how good it, it stands up. Because obviously with Space Invaders, if you launch that, you know that that game's too old to do anything like that. But this one... yes. I mean, it holds up. So why don't you talk about the, the graphics, Wes? What did you think? Yeah, well, so we both thought the graphics are incredible for this, basically. Uh, like I tried to describe uh, in the special topic, they just made so many innovations that altogether amounted to the smoothest, most colorful, and visually interesting game I think we've ever seen. I mean, of course, there's some crazy arcade cabinet pinball stuff that we like to look at, but this just looks like consistently the most amazing, I think. Mm -hmm. The sprites, I think, have like three or four frame idle animation where they're moving side to side, and then they also come down to face you on their bombing runs. They do loops across the screen and cool like spirals. There's a constant scrolling background of twinkling stars that are like different colors and just look really pretty and add so much depth and environment to it the fact that they switched away from frame buffering and went to tile mapping means that everything just looks smooth too like scrolling background doesn't interfere with the sprites moving at all and i was amazed because i played this game a lot when i was a kid and i never noticed it until i was going through and trying to do a graphics rating but the different colors that they put in all of the different types of alien ship sprites totally hide the fact that there's actually only two different sprite designs oh yeah three mm -hmm. of the ship types are just different colors of the same ship and then the like capital ship the boss thing that ben was talking about is the only different sprite but they all still look so good because they're so detailed and uh different vibrant colors there's also great explosion sprites and Unlike a lot of games, it's not just when your ship blows up that you get the really cool explosion. It's when every ship blows up that you get a really cool explosion. And seeing things move 
in that curved pattern when they go on the dive bomb runs. It took me a bit to realize it, but I'm like, why does that look so weird? It's because almost everything we've seen up till now in like a arcade cabinet kind of game is moving at like right angles. And yeah, I mean, there's definitely been some things where things can move smoothly, but to have like this seamlessly in a game just looks really good. So we decided to give it a 4.75 out of 10 for graphics. It looks awesome. Oh, yeah. The thing that was most striking to me coming back and playing it that you did mention is just like when they do the dive bombs, it's in like this curved pattern. So while the sprites of the aliens are pixelated and they have pixels, they're not like moving in a pixelated grid. It's like you're picking them up and they can just freely rotate or I don't know, just kind of swerve back and forth without any kind of having to stick to some sort of grid you know what i mean which is very unique and um makes it just so buttery smooth it's crazy <laughs> yeah for 79 it's, it's kind of nuts it's like they're doing circles and people can't do circles it was right. hard enough just to get like a circle sprite of something that wasn't <laughs> a square oh yeah <laughs> we're still seeing like square balls in every single sports game that we play but i know man they've got smooth edges and thing move, things moving in curves, it looks great. But another thing that's just kind of incredible for the time is the sounds in this game. Mm -hmm. Like I said at the beginning, there's, I think, seven different sound channels. They all have like varying complexity. They could play different types of sounds. But uh, the sounds for this were also composed originally on a synthesizer, I think which is pretty neat and it just really pays off for having these multiple audio channels playing at the same time. I don't think we've played many, if any, games before that have this many unique sounds layered on top of each other. Um, there are instances where I'm pretty sure you're getting at least three, maybe four sounds playing at the same time if the certain things line up right. Probably three. Um, and especially not digital sounds i mean we've definitely had it where there's like one or two sounds going on at the same time on the cabinet and then the uh some mechanical effects are making more but this mm -hmm. is all digital and then of course there's the opening tune at the start of the game which is so iconic you'll note when you hear it probably even if you haven't played the game but you've just seen it in your periphery the missile sound is also iconic the enemy bombing run noise is a little annoying but endearing because <laughs> i just for me there's definitely some nostalgia coming in but still all the sounds are very unique i feel like there's nothing really that we've heard exactly like it before and it's just kind of this full audio experience that never really left me feeling like there was too much noise going on it just seemed like the right amount of motion and noise and so we came together for this one and decided to give it a four out of 10 for sounds because they're pretty dang good. Uh, you know, it's not playing like uh, crazy boss battle music in the background, but it's really good. Yeah, the music is the only thing I wish there was more of because yeah. in Space Invaders, you did have like a four tone anachromatically going down beep thing. Yes, yeah. That was in the background. All And this one, there is like a background noise that's happening all the time, but it's a lot. It's not like musical. It's, um, I don't even know what you how you describe that one. Or just like but. a drone. I mean, it has like pulses yeah. in it, but it's kind of just like a 
steady, consistent pulsing thing. It's weird. It's yeah. <laughs> so that's the only thing for me. I, w I wish they would have replaced that with a uh, with some music somehow. Although the tune in the beginning does make up for it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely pretty good. And then, I mean, getting into relevance, Wes, this is a big one. This is our last, our last uh, rating here. So, for those of you who remember, I gave Space Invaders a 9.75 out of 10, which was somewhat controversial, we'll say. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think this will be a little controversial as well. Uh, Wes and I came together, and we're going to give this a 10 out of 10 for relevance, which might be the first 10 out of 10 we've ever given. Yeah. But, um, I feel really strongly about it that when you look at this compared to Space Invaders, this one is so much more modern and seems so much closer to what, like, the bullet hell or whatever this genre you would say is, is going to become um, than Space Invaders was. And there's only a one year difference between Space Invaders and Galaxian, which is insane because this looks like it's something that should come out like two years from now. <laughs> so I just feel like. This one's going to last a lot longer and be it's just going to hold up a lot better over time than Space Invaders. And I think with all the graphical improvements that this made, which is a lot, there's so many other games coming out afterwards that are going to steal from that, that I think Galaxian is going to be one of the big games where you can say, you know, here's what games look like before Galaxian and here's what games look like after Galaxian. It, it's that big of a difference in the jump in quality that we have with this game. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. And knowing that the, you know, really golden age of arcade video games is really quickly approaching, I think a lot of that is going to come down to the improvements made from this game. So to me, it was, it's the one that of this whole genre that I would probably give a 10. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I started out with a 9 out of 10 relevance for this, but Ben convinced me, and the more I think about it, the more I think it is a 10 out of 10. We're not saying this is the most relevant game in all of gaming history. We're just saying this contributed, like, the maximum amount to, to being yeah. relevant in video game history. And to reinforce Ben's point... Namco goes on to use the same base cabinet to make Pac-Man. This cabinet inspired Nintendo to make their design for Donkey Kong and other future cabinets. And as Namco was licensing this out to tons of other uh, Japanese companies like uh, Nishibutsu and Taito, they would all start by making Galaxian clones, but then they all adapted this design to make their own unique games that use this graphical style. So especially in the Japanese market, and I'm sure next year and maybe in 81 in the American market as well, we are going to be seeing the effects of this cabinet. And uh, it's, it's just got a lot going for it. It's uh, hard to overstate. Yeah. And, you know, something else I mentioned before that, you know, one of the main reasons why I didn't give Space Invaders a 10 out of 10 was because you can tell that it's old, right? You can tell that games today are just better than Space Invaders. But Galaxian is 
good looking enough where it, it has enough aesthetic to it where it could easily hold up and i think games will come out in 80 and 81 and you won't be able to tell that they look much better than galaxian looks you know because it just looks that good so i just feel like it has a this kind of timeless quality to it more so than space invaders did which is a black and white video game with a color overlay so this one being all true color it just holds up way more and i i don't think it's ever going to be not that good you know what i mean it's always going to be good so <laughs> yeah or at least a five out of ten or whatever <laughs> and to round this out uh what our overall score is for this we ended up giving it a 4.5 out of 10, which is among the highest we have ever given a game on this podcast mm -hmm. uh, for all of the reasons that we've said. It's a brilliant game, does a lot of things really well, does a lot of things for the first time. It's branded as being, you know, heavily inspired by Space Invaders, but man, does it do so much better. And not yeah. knocking on Space Invaders, that did a lot of great stuff too, but this, it just, it's awesome. It's a great game. Yeah. And um, Space Invaders came out one year ago, Wes. That's, I mean, yeah. that's one of the most insane parts. They made some changes and they made them fast. <laughs> they did. They did, right. Yeah. Uh, it definitely takes a little bit longer than a year to make games today. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed our look of Galaxian. But with that being said, we've got a lot of clones we have to talk about because pretty much everybody wanted to make this game. Um, and these clones came out throughout the rest of 1979, but rather than talk about a clone every episode until the end of 1979, I just threw them all right now so we can get the clones out of the way. So Midway is obviously going to license this in the US. Uh, they start doing that in 79, although I don't think it, it really takes off until 80. Same thing with Taito. They also have a port or a clone of Galaxian, or I should say a licensed version of Galaxian from Namco. And then we have a bunch of other ones, which are all clones, we think. Uh, we have Galaxian by Irem, Galaxy by Hoei, Galax by Yunhap Electronics, Galaxia by Zakaria, Kamikaze by Video Games UK, Kamikaze by Potomac Games, uh, Star Attack by Potomac, Starfighter by Jutel, Zero Time by Petico, and Zero Time by Datamat. Mm -hmm. And then we also have Hacks of Galaxian. Now, I don't know... When it says hacks, who's hacking it? I guess developers are, because these are pretty big developers, but we've got games called Galaxian Part 3 by CTA, Galaxian Part 4 by GGI, Spacian by Turtle, Super Galaxians by Zakara, Super Galaxians by Silver Systems, and Super Galaxians by Midway, which um, these hacks were meant to be pretty much Space Invaders, but made to be harder and play faster. And then another one that we wanted to mention on its own is Moon Alien by Nichibutsu because it is a Galaxian clone, but it does at least use custom sprites for the ship and some slightly altered aliens. So they were changing things up a bit. Yeah, and then weirdly enough, Nichibutsu also made one called Galaxian Part X, which is a hack of the original Galaxian that made it more similar to Moon Alien, their own game. So, <laughs> kind of strange, but... So they, have, they had Moon Alien, which was their own thing, which was a clone, you know, but it was their own thing. And then they were like, let's just take actual Galaxian cabinets and just make it into Moon Alien. <laughs> I 
All right, with that being said, though, let's officially move into October of 1979. As Wes mentioned, we go over pretty much every single game that we can find. So we're going to talk about every game that came out in October of 1979, starting with a, another one that I reviewed and rated today. It's another Space Invaders type game. You would have guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> this one's called Astro Fighter by Data East. And I chose to review it because it does have quite a few interesting little twists and turns to it that make it unique um, that I enjoyed. So a little background about what this game is. It's pretty much Space Invaders, but it's in true color. Um, it also has the sparkling stars in the background, just like Galaxian has. Although this one has a blue background instead of it being black. So I guess you're fighting in the sky rather than in space, but there's still a lot of stars around. It's a little weird, but <laughs> it works, I guess. You're a ship at the bottom of the screen that can only move left or right, and you shoot missiles up against invaders. So it's all pretty much what you would expect. The difference really comes into the invaders themselves and how they spawn in. So in this game, you have four main enemy ship types, and they come at you one ship type at a time in a group of, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 ships. And they'll all be of that same type. And when you wipe out that group, there'll be a different type of ship that all comes at you uh, in another group of 10 to 12 or whatever. And each of these different groups of enemy ships have, they, they move differently and um, they all shoot pretty similarly, but uh, their patterns are different. So, and, and they're, their sprite themselves is different and looks different. So um, let me go over what those are real quick. Uh, I think the ships can spawn at you in any order. I think it's random, although I think all four have to spawn before you move on to phase two, which I'll explain in a sec. But um, pretty much you have four different types of ships, which I'm just going to say are the, are the color of the ships because they're all just one color. They've got blue ships, yellow ships, green and pink ships. That could be attacking you. So the blue ships will move down and then back up and then left and then right and then down, but a little bit further than up, left, right, and then down a little bit further. So they're steadily making their way down, but they kind of move in all four directions to slowly get down the screen. The red ships move down, up, and then right, and then they'll go down, up, and left. And, and every time they go down, it's a little bit further, so they're getting closer but it's a little bit of a different pattern. The green ships are the weirdest ones. They move in a diagonally up and down pattern, and they can also um, they'll like intersect with each other. So you get this weird thing where you have like two sprites overlapping a lot of the time. I don't know if you can get double kills that way, but it is kind of a little strange because they're like literally right on top of another. <laughs> but um, they move kind of the most interesting with the diagonalness of it. Then you have yellow ships with which just move straight down or <laughs> straight down at you and every ship no matter what color they are fires missiles both down and diagonal which is to me one of the biggest cool things about this game they might not be dive bombing but having ships be able to fire diagonal depending on what side of the screen you're on means that they're tracking you a little bit and um just means that you can't just like hide on one side of the screen like they can always hit you no matter where you are even if they're not directly above you. So I really like the fact that they can move or they can shoot diagonally. That's one of the, my favorite things about the game. In addition to that, there's also, 
I don't know if they're asteroids or maybe like some other missile coming down, but you have these additional missiles coming down from the top that are just random that you have to avoid. Again, they could be asteroids or something, I'm not sure, but um, they happen even when the ships are like in between their spawning phases or whatever, so um, I don't really know what that's supposed to be about. But then once you destroy all four of these ship types throughout four different waves, you get this little like boss battle thing. And the Ooh. screen switches to have a black background. You have these like weird bars along the side of the screen that kind of maybe it's supposed to simulate you going to hyperspace or something. Um, but they have like a little perspective to them, even though you don't actually move forward because you're always at the bottom of the screen. So it's just like a weird background, essentially. Um, and then there's this, uh, again, very strange, I'm going to say like sun looking thing. I don't really know what it is. It has the letters <laughs> GS on it. Um, I'm sure it stands for something, but some sort of boss bug looking dude. Maybe it's more of a bonus ship or something. But it just goes back and forth across the screen, but you have to hit it twice to destroy it. And then you even get like a little bit of a, almost like a cutscene animation. It can fire at you, so you have to be a little careful. But then, you, but if you destroy it by hitting it twice, you get like a little bit of this kind of cutscene waiting thing, and then the whole game pretty much restarts and you go again. So, um, it's kind of interesting. This definitely has a little bit more to it than a normal Space Invaders clone, so I thought it was definitely worth checking out. So, let me get into my ratings for it. For gameplay, I give it a 3.5 out of 10. Because I quite enjoyed playing it, even though I just played Galaxian, and Galaxian is definitely better. <laughs> I like the fact that every one of the aliens can kind of had their own little gimmick to them, and that they came at you um, one after another. Um, it just kept the game fresh. Like instead of playing one round and then thinking this is all the game is, you know, you play at least five rounds to see everything. So it it really switches it up a little bit more. And I love the addition of uh, enemies being able to shoot diagonally. It just kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit more. So overall, I thought it was pretty fun and, and engaging for a game that we've pretty much seen over and over and over again. <laughs> so I kind of liked it. For graphics, I gave that a 3.5 out of 10. The main really important feature here is the stars that are multicolored, just like in Galaxian. They are just going to look good forever, in my opinion, and they definitely look <laughs> good here. All of the enemies are pretty... I mean, they're definitely unique in their shape and style, and they all have their own color, but they're not, like, multicolored or anything, so they're not as good-looking. And uh, you have an explosion animation that is, I think, two different sprites, but it's only a red explosion animation with nothing else there. One of the other main things I do really like is your spaceship looks really cool and it actually has an animated thruster coming off the back of it. Oh, nice. Which even Galaxian doesn't have something like that, I don't think. So um, I, I thought that was a really nice addition. And then you have the weird boss room, <laughs> which just looks very strange. And it does look maybe a little out of place, but it does give you the, this feeling of like, oh, this is big time or something, you know? So I kind of like it. Um, there's also obviously the usual high scores and, you know, occasional UI elements, which is all cool and, and, and fine. So for a 
graphics, I gave it a three and a half out of ten. Something I forgot to mention for gameplay, I want to say real quick, is that you also have a fuel gauge um, at the top of the screen, which, despite the fact that it's clearly this is empty on one side and fuel on the other side, it's actually how many shots you can fire. So you have a certain number of lives, but you can also, uh, I guess, you have to win within a certain number of shots. So you have to kind of conserve your shots and make sure that they're good shots. There is a, quite a bit of wiggle room. If you're hitting an alien like maybe 50% of the time, it'll be really close, is my guess. Um, and usually they're not that hard to hit. But um, you do have to watch out for that, and it does reset once you destroy the boss. So, all that being said, let's talk about sound real quick. The sound for the game's okay. It's missing the musical element that Galaxian had, and also it's missing, I mean, the iconic sounds <laughs> that Galaxian had. <laughs> but um, it's a pretty decent, it sounds like um, all the shots that are going out sound good. Sounds good when someone explodes. There's like a kind of rumbling background noise. It's pretty much what you would expect, and it's not really missing anything. I just wish that there was music and uh, that the sound effects are a little bit more unique because they're all things that we've kind of heard before. So I just gave it a 2.75 there because it did everything that I was hoping it would do pretty much. And then for relevance, it's hard to, to come back after Galaxian, man. <laughs> but for relevance, I gave it a 5.75 because while I think this is a great game and I quite enjoyed it, it's really hard to argue that it really inspired anything coming out pretty much at the same time of, as Galaxian. I think this is one that nobody knows of because... It just came out at a bad time, man. <laughs> um, I just can't see it really inspiring very much. But uh, I wanted to give it a little bit of points because it is by Data East, which is a bigger company and I'm sure sold okay, at least until Galaxian got into a lot of people's hands. Um, but, you know, if Galaxian hadn't come out, I think this one would have made a much larger impact because it did make quite a few innovations that I really enjoyed. And graphically... It's almost as good as Galaxian. It's just without the tile set thing, uh, you know, innovations that they made to that, all the sprites are just a single unified color and don't have any animations. They just kind of move. So you're really missing that, but it is colorful and there are a couple, couple nice things like, you know, a two frame animation for something exploding and you're a thruster firing with like a two frame animation. So it's cool. It's just not there you know it's not the same so i couldn't go too high on that and overall i gave it a 3.25 out of 10 um i really enjoyed it i think had we not just reviewed galaxian this might be my favorite space invaders kind of clone that we've ever reviewed but you know we did review Galaxian, <laughs> right <laughs> so, um, yeah it makes it a little it, tough it's good yeah it's good it's just not great um, it's not going to define a generation like a certain other game did. <laughs> so, yeah, but I like it though. I mean, what, how, what does all that stuff sound like to you guys? I, I like the different waves to it and the little boss room. It's kind of cool. Yeah, no, honestly, for what we normally would have expected for a Space Invaders clone, that made a lot of really cool choices. 
And with that being said, let's talk about some of the clones of Astro Fighter that came out. We have Astro Combat by Prol, Astro Battle by Saddam, Astro Battle by Romagnoli, probably an Italian company, I don't know, uh, Astro Fighter by Sonic, Astro Fire by Rene Pierre, and Superstar Battle by SG. Yes, if you guys are new to the podcast, we have a lot of clones <laughs> yes, that people <yeah>. make <laughs> and put their own name on it. And we at least like to mention them, you know, to know that they yeah. existed. It helps get the relevance factor because, like, if Galaxian has 20 clones, which it has a lot of clones, I don't know if it's 20, but quite a lot, kind of shows that a lot of people, are, they want to publish a game just like that, you know? Whereas if a game only has two clones, maybe it wasn't as uh, relevant in the global market of arcade games. Um, but before we leave Astro Fighter, there was one more I had to mention called Star Trek by Petico, which I just, I can't believe that this came out and wasn't immediately sued to the ground <laughs> with the name of Star Trek, which I'm sure was unlicensed. Yeah. I think Petico might be a Spanish company, so maybe they were small enough to get away with it. But uh, when I saw that, I was just like, wow, how is that still happening? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many more years the companies are going to be able to. Uh get away with stuff like that <laughs> uh, and then next up we have captain stuntman and southern cross by japan Bally, which seems like it was a two-in-one cabinet combining a color version of space invaders with uh some kind of head-on clone uh, which if you don't remember head-on is a game by gremlin that's kind of like an early precursor to pac-man style gameplay and it changed the track layout in that head-on clone but we don't have too much uh, information about it and no other games from this company. So they're probably related to Bally, but we don't really know. They're just called Japan Bally. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure either. And then another honorable mention here, we have Phantom 2 by Midway, which seems like it's an updated jet fighter sort of game. Jet fighter by Atari, which has kind of some like quote-unquote bullet hell gameplay to it you're dodging shots and moving fast and shooting at some jets as the screen is scrolling by and originally we wanted to cover this because it looked like it moved incredibly fast like these clouds were just speeding past you and honestly at the rate that it was redrawing the screen it probably wasn't very safe for people to look at because it was blinking so much yeah <laughs> but after doing a little bit more research, we found another video where it's playing a lot more slowly. And we've also found mentions in some of the emulated versions that the fast speed could possibly be a bug. Uh, so we just wanted to mention it here. The slow speed seems more likely. Either way, it was kind of an interesting uh, scrolling background for a pretty simple fighter shooting game. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, let's move on to the next one here. We've got Head On 2 by Sega Gremlin, which came out again in October 1979. Um, Head On was one of the largest releases of the year so far, being, a, you know, as you mentioned, a precursor to Pac-Man, and it was quite good. I mean, I enjoyed it. Head On 2 was pretty much exactly the same, though, just with a different track. Which reminds me of like when we did like the old sprint games or Grand Track 10 games back back in the day when they pretty much like just put out the same game again and changed like the smallest thing. Right. Which yeah. in this case is just a different track. Um, which the the new track is weird too. Like the original track had this 
it was more like concentric circles coming out from the middle of of uh, a play field so you always kind of went in this circular motion around the track but on this one you have that in the middle and then like somehow they added two lanes that are just on the left and right but not top and bottom that just are like little small circles in those two corners of the screen pretty much which is kind of a weird um, yeah. layout i think mm. it kind of lose the loses the circular motion of it and makes it so that instead of having the opposing car always be like coming at you you can actually loop around in such a way where you're both going the same direction so they're more coming like from from behind you which is uh quite a bit quite a bit different and i think it would actually be easier in some ways because of that but in any case it's pretty much the exact same so i didn't we didn't feel like rating it because of that <laughs> then we do have some head-on two inspired games coming out after this we have head-on n by nintendo uh, which seems like a unique version of head-on from nintendo it kind of had a mix uh, where the graphics seemed similar to Head-On 2, but the track is definitely from Head-On 1, so we're not too sure which one it's exactly based off of. Yep, and then a couple more for Head-On 2. We had Head-On 2 by Sedam, Car 2 by RZ Bologna, um, Head-On 2 by Lowen Automaton, and Super Head-On by AEA, all clones of Head-On 2. And the next, we've got something still in the dot-eating genre, but a little bit different, a game called Space Chaser by Taito, which is the second game that I took a look at and reviewed today. Uh, to start off, it has some really nice cabinet art on it, surprisingly. It's got these Battlestar Galactica-looking ships flying all over it, which I believe represent the player spaceship in the game. And then a bunch of weird missile things because the space chaser in this game that's following you is kind of just a weird looking missile. The gameplay though is very similar to Head On by Gremlin. You have to clear all the dots off of the screen without being hit by the uh, whatever's chasing you, in this case the space chaser. Uh, the dots are in two concentric squares. And the center portion in the middle of the smallest square has sort of, I don't know what I would call like aisles of dots. It has some vertical lines, uh, very much like the nooks and crannies at the top and bottom of like a Pac-Man map, just to make it so there's a lot more turns and bends that you can go through. And instead of only heading in one direction in this game, you can also turn around. You can do a 180 and go completely the opposite direction. So you have a lot more movability to get into all of those areas where the dots are. As you get more dots, the space chaser gets faster. It follows you, but uh, in some videos, it looks like you can sort of manipulate the AI a little bit and fake it out by changing directions a lot. And then you also have a boost and fuel function where you can boost and you'll go faster, but it uses your fuel reserves. And the trade-off is that if you get through a map and clear all the dots without using any of your fuel you get a bunch of extra points but that's the basic gameplay breakdown of it let me get into my ratings for this uh, for graphics i gave it a 2.5 out of 10 because it still kind of just looks like head-on uh, they're a little bland 
It's a plain blue background with white dots on it. The Space Chaser missile is all pink, even though it's a pretty nice design, and the ship is all yellow. Looks almost like the ship from Galaga, which isn't even out yet, to be honest. Uh, but because they're all just one color, they look a little bit flat. One thing that it does have going for it, though, in the graphics is the explosion animation. Uh, animation in quotes, it's more like a event. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> when you explode, first it blinks off and on an explosion image, like right where you got hit. And then parts of your ship fly off into the corners of the screen and like destroy and erase the maze or the track in the direction that it's heading, like as it passes over it. So <laughs> it looks like once you get hit, it just kind of like destroys the whole screen. It's pretty funny. So that's a nice little feature. But other than that, it just looks okay. It had decently smooth movement, but nothing too special. Moving on to sounds, though, I gave it a 2 out of 10 here. There's an okay explosion noise, you know, pretty good. But my real favorite part of this background noise, or of this sound, is the background noise of the Space Chaser. Because you're going to have to stick with me here, because this is the only way I can describe it. It sounds like a horse trotting, but if the horse was made of bubbles and then fed through like a synthesizer. So you'll have to okay. listen to it to find out what the heck I'm talking <laughs> about. But it is a weird sound <laughs> and it progressively gets faster, which is a little maddening. But I mean, it does kind of raise the stakes as the space chaser is getting faster. The music's getting faster or the rhythm. And it really does sound very unique. I don't think it's necessarily that great. All the sounds taken into account. But that one sound is actually pretty cool. I did enjoy that. Moving on to gameplay now, I give it a 1.5 out of 10 here. I have no idea how anybody ever beat this game, but there's videos <laughs> of people doing it, so obviously you can. Wes, I sent you tips and tricks. I, You know, it wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the space chaser just catches up to you so fast. Anytime you take a turn, you lose a lot of speed, although I think you can get really good at it so you can turn a lot faster around corners. And I've seen some videos where, like I mentioned, you can sort of like go back and forth in a top corner of the screen and then the missile accidentally takes like a route that's going to take a really long time so you know that you're safe for a little bit to eat a bunch of dots in a certain section. So it really feels like it's more a puzzle game than like anything which i guess all pac-man type games sort of are but the way that it was phrased on the videos i was watching is like all levels of space chasers solved and if somebody's using that word <laughs> i feel like it's you gotta think out your whole entire routine before you even play the game so that i mean the general gameplay of it it's fine i honestly kind of like sidetrack the like trade themed one that we played better felt a little bit more yeah beatable uh but this is just a little little too hard for me i think well what do you think about this is the first time from when we've seen where you can move in a pac-man movement style where you could just you know turn on a dime 180 did that change the uh the gameplay much for you because it is it is pretty much like pac-man and how is. it moves 
And you're, you're just running from something pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So that part is exactly the same and it is really cool. But my parade was rained on by the fact that there's no uh, super dots that I can eat to eat the missile. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, because I can go in a direction, but I still can't go through the missile. And part of that's just, you know, I didn't know how to maneuver around it. So I crashed into it a lot. And I think it probably does give you a lot more flexibility. But I don't know. It still seems a little bit too bare bones, even with that nice movement improvement. So I like that part of it. And I think it did give me a lot more control, but not enough that I felt like I could reliably beat it. Um, Another small problem I had with the gameplay is that I like the idea of the bonus scoring for not using fuel. But again, I don't know how you get through some of these missions without using boost. So I don't know if there's an easy way to like always get the bonus score or if it's just like you have to be really good, know all the levels by heart, and then you get the bonus score by never using boost. Um, I wish it was a sliding scale where like I still got half of the score if I used half the fuel, but I guess mm -hmm. that wouldn't really work out too well. Maybe it was more for the, uh, there's two player on this, right? So maybe that'd be easier in some ways because you could juke out the opponent. Well, so I was looking into it and originally we thought the two player was somebody controls the missile, but it's actually just a turn taking game. Oh no. So the, the missile, the space chaser is always AI controlled. Uh, at oh, okay. least as far as I could tell based on the flyer. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, no. <laughs> Moving on to relevance, though, I gave this a 5 out of 10. I mean, we're inching ever closer to Pac-Man, and it does have that actual movement that we know from Pac-Man in a Pac-Man-type game. The Space Chaser is actively pursuing you, too, and it was made by Taito, which is a pretty big company. But I really have a hard time believing that this was like tons more popular than Head On or other clones. So I don't know. I think if I'm going to give something relevance for contributing to Pac-Man, Head On kind of gets the big props there for being the first in the dotting genre, even if this did add the right movement style to it. So then overall, that left me with a 2 out of 10. Space Chaser definitely has some interesting changes to the head-on formula, and it makes it a lot more aggressive and fast-paced and gives you a lot more options for how you play it and what you can do. But it felt like <laughs> the difficulty was too hard to ever get to use any of those nice movement options you had. Uh, so maybe it's just me, but the overall experience was a little bit eh, but still decent for me. Okay. Yeah, you know what? The one thing that is that I find to be weird about it is that we're playing pretty much like a maze game, just like in Pac-Man, right? And this is the first one where you can go in all four directions, and they make you play as a spaceship, which doesn't make any sense why a spaceship would be in a maze or be able to turn 180 degrees in one right? Yeah. One frame. <laughs> I feel like the theming is weirdly off. It is a little strange. They're like, space doesn't matter what it's about <laughs> <laughs> definitely oh but uh yeah all right all right uh there's only one other one we have for you guys today it's space chaser by model racing a clone of the taito version but that's the only other clone of that one for 79 so 
we are going to end it there for today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's big Galaxian-themed episode. Obviously a huge one for the podcast, probably the biggest game we've ever done other than maybe Pong and Space Invaders. So if you guys haven't checked out those episodes, be sure to do that. Um, and I'm really excited to see what comes up next because, well, October is just stacked with great games for us. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> the next few episodes are going to be really packed with some good stuff. But uh, yeah, today we did Galaxian, Astro Fighter by Data East, and Space Chaser by Taito. It was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, a lot of great stuff. And if you are new or even if you are old to the podcast, please make sure to check out our website because we have tons of information. We really want to document as well as we can while still making it entertaining almost every game that's come out. We think it'll give a great view of how things progressed over time. And on the website is where all of that information is listed. We put up there everything that we've covered so far as we go through the history of video games timeline. So make sure to check that out. Also make sure to check us out on Twitter where we post uh, announcements about when our episodes are going up. And if you have any questions or you want to reach out to us, feel free to send us an email. And with that, we'll catch you next time. See you all next time.